Hello and welcome to Where's the Exit, a podcast for tech leaders who want to leverage their IP to maximise their exit valuation. My name is Stephen Blake and I'm joined today by Donald O'Connell. We're going to talk about asset registers, intangible asset registers today. Uh, Welcome to the show, Donald. Thanks, Stephen. Thank you very much for inviting me to this podcast. Greatly appreciate it. Absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure. And, And for those people, those listeners who don't know you already can you just give a quick uh, sort of intro a brief sort of background what got you to where you are today and what you're doing now today um i'm, I'm managing director of a relatively small uh, ip company uh very much focused on um designing and developing ip solutions and tools these days yeah. um, previously i was vp of r&d and director of ip at nokia many years ago so i came out of experiencing ip in a large multinational um I do a lot of teaching. I'm very interested in the whole education and IP. So I used to be adjunct professor. Now I'm just a visiting researcher at IP at Imperial College Business School. And for my sins as well, I write regularly about IP. I like to put things down on paper. So I've got three books and probably over 100 papers published on different aspects of IP. I'm not an attorney, I should say. My background is an engineer, but uh, I got dragged into IP both as an inventor many years ago, but also yeah. spending time in Texas, which if many of the audience might recognize is a highly litigious part of the IP world. So I kept getting dragged yeah. into disputes. Um, it's probably a different topic, but I think that's changing yeah. at the minute. That's sort of yes. yes. Texas thing. But, yes. um, but yeah, yeah. Um, that's great. I mean, it's obviously, you know, there's a, quite a background there. We've got lots of things to talk about. And you didn't mention trade secrets uh, either, which is sort of an area where I think People who've seen you out, your output on LinkedIn and in other places would definitely recognize you as a bit of an authority there as well. And that's something I might drag you back onto the show. Future friend of the show, Perfect. Donald. Perfect. <laughs> Get you back on to talk about that another time. But today uh, we're going to talk about intangible asset registers. And you have a product, product in your current business that uh, I certainly recommend to clients that I'm working with and we can talk a little bit about that I'm sure we will over the course of the uh, the conversation but I was thinking about intangible asset register and, e- and even that sort of title I think there's a lot of people out there a lot of clients a lot of, sort of tech business leaders who would even be confused by that term before we even start about thinking you know what they should be looking at why they should be looking at an intangible asset register so i wanted to ask you a really broad question first which is what's an intangible asset how do we define that and how does it relate to what you would consider to be intellectual property or or, or ip that people might sort of naturally think of when they think of ip like patents and things like that okay well it's it's an umbrella term it consists of different elements or components um so let's just take an example so um, imagine you're an innovative or creative sme um, let's say you've got a headcount of 30 people yeah. and you're designing and developing some innovative or creative product or service. Well, you probably have some or not all of all the following already. Uh, you probably have know-how, undocumented know-how in the heads of your employees. They have knowledge and know-how that's relevant to your particular product or service or how to make it or how to sell it or whatever. Yeah. You may have confidential information about your business. Some of that Confidential information might go so far as to be extremely valuable. So might even be, might even qualify as a trade secret. You may have, you probably have, you definitely have agreements. 
you obviously have employee agreements. You may have some subcontractors working for you. So you've got some subcontractor agreements. You may have relationships up and down the value chain. So you've got supplier agreements, uh, distributor agreements, client agreements. You may be doing some development work with a local university. So you've got some university academia, uh, industry academia uh, collaboration agreement. Uh, You have a name for your company. You may have registered or you may not. You may have an unregistered trademark or you may have gone as far as registering it. Yeah. Uh, you obviously are coming up with innovative ideas. So you may have inventive ideas mm-hmm. permeating your company. Some of them, you've decided to go further and apply for a patent. So you may have a patent application or you may have succeeded yeah. and got a granted patent. You obviously are aware of the importance of the online world. So you have a website, which means you've got a domain name. You may be active. You mentioned about LinkedIn. You may, be, yeah. you may have a company profile on LinkedIn or Facebook. So you've got some social media handles. So you've got all of this stuff we've just talked about yeah. That is your collection of intangible assets. I mean, it's... you can see that they're made up of quite a lot of different types. Um, and each form does something or doesn't do something and they have their own oddities and idiosyncrasies. But the bottom line is you have this collection of intangible assets. And just like in the, the real world with tangible assets, intangible assets need tender, loving care. They need to be managed. Mm-hmm. They need to be looked after. Uh, in some cases, they need to be looked after because they require maintenance. In some cases, because they're registered, they require fees to be paid. Uh, they may become stale. They may need, may, may need updating. They may need to be looked after from a secrecy point of view. You need to look after them. So intangible assets are, what, are, that, are that collection of diverse things we just talked about. And intangible asset management is just looking after this stuff yeah. because it requires looking after. And the point, it, it, I think... The point is, and one of the points that you're making, I think, is that you have these things, whether you are aware of them and you've you've documented them or you've done anything with them, they're there, a lot of them, right. anyway, right? Correct. Uh, and if they're not being managed, then there's potential. There's risks. There's, yeah. If they're not being managed, there's major risks. There's the there's possibility that the stuff just leaks out of your organization. You have it, but suddenly you don't have it. There's the possibility that you make errors or you're late. So, for example, with the registered forms of IP, let's take patents. If you're late, you make mistakes. That can go back to haunt you. Your patent yeah. suddenly is a lot more expensive than you envisaged, or yeah. the patent you get at the end of the day isn't bringing the value. You also have the issue these days that also needs to be considered is that because companies aren't islands, because companies are embracing opener or collaborative forms of innovation, you are collaborating with others. Mm-hmm. So there's also the possibility that some of the intangible assets in your possession don't legally belong to you. They yeah. belong to somebody else yeah. and they've been entrusted to you and you have to look after them because yeah. you've signed an agreement yeah. committing to That's look right. after them. That's right. And just look at how many disputes we see between former collaboration partners where yeah. they fall out because one party didn't behave themselves. Yeah. So yeah. it's not just your own intangible assets you've got to look after it's those ones entrusted to you yeah, and of course and the reverse because you're sharing your trade secrets or your confidential information or your assets with somebody else you've also got to make sure the other party behaves when you entrust your assets to somebody yeah. so you know in many ways it's it's the same way as if you had a collection of tangible assets if you owned a large if you owned a large amount of property or you owned a collection of classic cars or you owned yeah. something they require tender loving care yeah and the same applies to intangibles and i guess um, the, the difference there though is that you because one is tangible and one is intangible the intangible one can exist without you knowing it because if you own a classic car 
you know you were in a classic car, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. That <laughs> is it, true. That is it, true. Your, your, your know-how and, and things like that, it can be a challenge for businesses anyway to understand what that is. And actually, that's one of the terms that, I mean, what I'm struck by is the breadth. I'm always struck by the breadth. And it covers every different facet of the business. And that's one of the reasons, maybe we'll come to this, but it's one of the reasons why I think uh, some kind of register is so Fundamentally, oh, yes. you, you, because like I said, you don't have to be that innovative or creative, or you don't have to be that big to suddenly realize, actually, mm. I've got a lot of this stuff permeating my company. Yeah. And you, you can't have it written on the back of a cigarette packet. You've got to no. figure out, okay, how am I going to log it? And how am I going to track it? And how am I going to be able to present information to key stakeholders who want to get visibility of the current state? How am I going to be able to track the changes that are taking place in that portfolio of assets? Mm-hmm. So you need to think about a register of some sort. The good thing is there's quite a number of registers out in the market. Yeah. I mean, uh, last time I heard about this, I think there's over 50 commercial different systems out there at mm-hmm. the moment. Now, mm-hmm. they all have their pros and cons. Some of them, unfortunately, tend to be very good at looking after your registered forms of IP, the patents yeah. and registered trademarks, but maybe lack the functionality to look after the unregistered stuff, your know-how, sure. your trade secrets, the softer IP, the copyright and so forth. Yeah. Um, there's a mix of solutions in terms of whether you want it on-premises or whether you want it in the cloud. Um, they'll vary in terms of the underlying technology, whether it's dependent on a, a Microsoft platform or, or something else. So there yeah. are technology differences. The fees clearly will vary. They These yeah. vary from a few grand up to I mean, I think the most expensive one out, out there at the moment is over 100 grand uh, total yeah. cost of ownership. So the yeah. fee is, but obviously you'll have to pick one that is robust and fit for purpose for your for your for your purposes. So if you're a um, you know an SME with um, a headcount of 20 people, the the system you pick is going to be probably radically different than if you're a multinational in 20 locations with 200,000 employees. So you have to figure out. And do proper due diligence, but yeah, you you can't. I suppose my simple statement here is you can't have it written on the back of a cigarette packet. It yeah. has to be more sophisticated than that, because, like I said, the variety of assets will vary. They do require regular maintenance, um, looking after, checking that everything is okay, nothing's amiss. Um, and of course, if you have no data when you're doing these regular reviews to check everything is okay. Yeah having the data and having it in the register helps your reviews go much more smoothly. Whereas if you start off with a blank sheet of paper saying, okay, we're going to review our assets today. Well, what do we have? I don't know. That's not going to be a very uh, productive review meeting. And I suppose back to your, when you introduced the, the, the podcast, the other reason you want these registers these days, it isn't just the IP folks who need to have this data. Yeah. Others in your company and even outside of your company are now beginning to ask probing questions. Yeah. So if you look internally, there are a number of other uh, representatives in the company who are potentially interested in this information, or at least a subset of this information. Um, For example, if you are collaborating, well, maybe your sourcing and procurement folks, the people who manage the relationships with others, want to know, well, what assets of, what intangible assets are flowing in and out in this relationship we have with company X or company Y? Yeah, exactly. Uh, Maybe the finance guy wants to Mm -hmm. know, well, how much money are we spending on all of these assets? And yeah. are, are we aligned from a budget point of view? So being able to say, well, these are the assets we're managing and here's the associated costs. Um, maybe the IT guy, because a lot of these intangible assets these days are digital in nature, wants to know, 
well, where are they on the network or where are they on our computer system so that I can at least understand it as a difference between this asset, which is perhaps a trade secret, and this asset, which is what's on the company canteen menu tomorrow. So yeah. um, others, I think, finance, uh, sourcing, IT, HR, uh, yeah. Because some of these assets very much relate to people, uh, particularly things like know-how. Um, uh, the finance as well are also getting interesting, by the way, from a tax issue, which is an, another yeah. perhaps discussion. But yeah. um, so having good data allows you to have adult, grown-up conversations with other corporate representatives internally. And of course, then there's the C-suite who want to know, yeah. well, what are these valuable assets? And then I suppose exter- externally, as well, yeah. when, when a company goes through any major corporate event, an investment round, an M&A, a joint venture, and somebody mm-hmm. else is looking in at you. Mm-hmm. More and more these days, when that other party is looking in at your company, they're looking at you with intangible asset glasses on. Yeah. They, they don't want to know what building you, you sit in or what type <laughs> of chairs you have or what type of table. They want to know about your intangible assets. Yeah. And again, you do not want to be the company saying, well, I have no idea. By the way, they're written on a cigarette packet here. Yeah. That doesn't look very professional. No. So having your assets well-managed allows you, again, uh, when you have those type of corporate events, and I would say the main ones would be an investment round, uh, an M&A, a yeah. joint venture, to be able to say, well, here's what we have. Here's how we're managing them. Here are the assets that will be relevant as far as the investor is concerned or the merger or the joint venture and so forth. Yeah. Um, so it also helps you with these external um, conversations. And um, once you've got the data in the register as well it allows you to sort of present that data in loads of different ways to loads of different partners and as well as i guess you know thinking about sort of um tech businesses that go into quite often go into collaborations engineering collaborations understanding what you're bringing to that collaboration in terms of intangible assets so understanding what your background ip is before you enter into that relationship having it all inside the the intangible asset register. I mean, it makes that job super, super easy. You can just sort of go to the register, pull out what you've got. and Yeah, well, I think having the register as well forces you to realize that intangible assets are quite broad because in any collaboration agreement, you know you're going to have an IP provision in that agreement. Mm -hmm. And and almost by default, the first thing is going to be is going to define intangible. So if you're coming at it from a point of view, well, actually, we've got quite a broad view of IP. It makes, it then allows you to say, well, when we're, drafting this collaboration agreement let's make sure that we with both parties understand that this intangible asset stuff is quite broad then of course you're going to have the sections about background and foreground you say well actually we know what we have because we've been logging it and we've been tracking it as opposed to going into those agreements saying well i have, I have no idea what's gonna what we have and therefore i have no idea what's going to flow out and end up in the possession of the other party um so yes it, it definitely helps you with collaborative innovation projects yeah. um um and as you and, said already, I mean, the, the breadth here is, is I mean, it defies any departmental sort of um, oversight, doesn't it? Other than obviously perhaps IP, but even then it's probably outside and broader than that, which is why having some kind of central register is the only way to do this uh, effectively. I think you, you couldn't yes. give it to any one particular person. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm... Yeah, I think I think IP have got to stand up. The in-house IP people have to stand up and take ownership of it, but they've got to mm-hmm. recognize that it's they're not to be an island disconnected from the rest of the business. Yeah. This will touch so many other parts of the business. Yeah. And um, 
um, depends on the particular asset type within intangibles. But yes, absolutely. Um, and of course, back to the, the thing we we're talking there about collaborative innovation as well. If you're if you're let's say when the smaller entity in the collaboration, so you're, yeah. you're a smaller SME collaborating with a multi multinational, just being able to show that you're taking IP seriously, that you've got good processes for managing these assets, you understand the subject matter. When the M&E is looking at you, they're more comfortable as well because it's likely that some of their assets are going to be entrusted to you. So, I mean, would you entrust a trade secret with somebody who can't even spell trade secrets? No. <laughs> Whereas if the other party, so IP can actually distinguish and differentiate you and, and it yeah. sort of showcases you to the other party and say, well, actually, these guys have their act together. Yeah, and that's something I say about IP quite often is that sometimes as valuable, the ratio will depend, but as valuable as protecting the IP itself is the demonstration of your credibility as a business. You know, the demonstration that you're managing all of this stuff very, very effectively gives you greater credibility to, to partners, to investors, to acquirers, whoever it might be. It's just sort of that nothing to see here sort of, you know. Yeah. And it also it also de-risks these collaborations. Like I said, yeah, a significant number of trade secret disputes are between former collaboration partners. Yeah, yeah. And I suspect that in many of these cases, it's because one party wasn't behaving themselves. Yeah. It wasn't organized properly. I don't think in many cases it probably wasn't deliberate. It was just they did things they shouldn't have been doing yeah. um, without without knowing, ah, this is how I should have been handling this situation. So, forth. so if you have the – I see having a good – being able to log and track your IP assets is good foundations because then it allows you to do other interesting things with IP. Then you yeah. can get involved in things like IP licensing or yeah. um, IP litigation funding or IP back lending. But if you, don't, if you don't even know what assets you have and you're not looking after them, it's hard to do this perhaps more sexy stuff with IP. Yeah. Um, because, um, you don't, <laughs> sexy you don't have, and IP. These yeah. are not things that usually sort of... That's in, true. You don't put those two words together. Well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, if I mean, for example, I mean, take things like IP insurance. Yeah. If you go and knock on the door of an insurance provider, and we've seen the big insurance guys now move into the IP space yeah. with interesting Definitely. IP insurance offerings from people like Aon and Gallagher and Marsh and so on. Well, imagine that conversation when the insurer is looking at you. Are they going to adjust your premiums up or down? Of course, they're going to adjust it when they when they get to know you. They say, "Hang on, there's big risks here. We we got to yeah. put the premium up." Whereas, no, no, we've looked at these guys. These guys are on the ball. They, they, they're managing. They know what assets they have. They're managing them. They're making sure that things being addressed in a timely manner. When they come knocking on our door for IP insurance, they'll get a much better deal compared to the guy who comes in looking like an explosion in a mattress factory. Kind of going, <laughs> these guys are all over the place. They don't know what they have, and so forth. So, um, I, I see it as good foundations. I see, yeah. I, I see, um, I, the use of a good IPS register and and regular use of it and proper maintenance of these assets as good foundations that then allow like i said the the perhaps the more interesting exciting parts of ip to run more smoothly yeah so a, a lot of uh smaller businesses might sort of think to themselves well okay can't we just put together an excel spreadsheet and kind of log this stuff Where's the advantage that you see in sort of, because as you said, some of these systems are kind of, you know, six figures, we're talking 100K, maybe even a bit more than that, to get a system implemented. Why would a small business want to part with some money to get something? What would be the, the advantage for them there? 
Well, I, 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 let me clarify. I'd still prefer them to use an Excel file rather than the back of a cigarette packet. So if they're, <laughs> if they're in a cigarette packet, I'd say move Excel to an Excel Excel one but, up from, yeah, from one cigarette up from packet. That. Yeah. But then you got to think about, um, obviously, some of these systems um, help you or guide you in determining. So, for example, let's just take um, an example. So if you have an, an, an IP asset, let's take your, let's take a very simple thing, your domain name. Sure. So we want you to log your domain name. Okay. But we don't just want you to log that you've got www.acme.uk. That's fine. You've got a, You've got a, a one-line entry in your Excel file. I've got a domain name, acme.co.uk. But I want you to record other stuff. I want you to record key dates. When did you first register it? When's it up for renewal? When was the last time you reviewed to make sure that the domain name was being properly utilized? Why do you have the domain name? Is it for active purposes or defensive yeah. purposes? Who have you registered it with? Is it um, a, a registrar that's logged to the, the global um, um, domain name? Um, because these days you have some interesting developments in the world of domain names. Do you only have the .co.uk one or do you have other extensions as well? Yeah. So now you're saying, I'm asking you to log other metadata about the domain name, not just the domain name. And mm -hmm. that applies to each intangible asset. So a lot of the systems are structured in a way that they prompt you to think about these yeah. pieces of metadata. Whereas an Excel file won't prompt it. It's just rows and columns, blank sheets, fill in what you want. And, and it's sort of, you don't know what you don't know. So we don't know what you don't know. Exactly. So you, you're kind of, what you're getting with these systems is the benefit of the experience of the people involved in the production of the system. Correct. They're also, because there's interesting UIs, they're controlling and maybe improving the data integrity as you enter data. Yeah. And, and of course, dirty data is a big issue with any data yeah. set. So by going from an Excel to one of these systems, your data integrity should improve. Yeah. The next thing is that these assets aren't islands disconnected from each other. There are links between different assets. Sure. So for example, let's say you've got two patterns. Mm -hmm. So you've got in your Excel file, you've got two entries, pattern number one and pattern number two. But there's a link between the two. Maybe both patterns protect the same product or whatever. So uh, also these systems, if they're anyway sophisticated, are good at prompting you to think about what are the relationships between the different asset types, yeah. either between the same type of IP, so a patent to a patent, or maybe the relationship between a patent and an agreement, because you've signed mm -hmm. an agreement with this university, but you've also licensed them the patent. So there's a link between the patent and the agreement. So the ability to track not just individual assets, but the relationships is also a key point of a lot of these systems. Yeah. Um, and that's something we've done a lot, uh, spent a lot of time on because we realized that some of our clients were good at, we, we could get them to the first level, which is, oh yeah, we have logged our assets. So we said, yeah, yeah, but can you talk about the relationships between that asset and that asset? And they were like, oh yes, there is a link there. We need to capture that as well. And of course, Excel, you could be looking at Excel all day, but it won't prompt you to say, what are the links or what are yeah. the relationships? So just for for the for the listeners, then, I mean, I think it's I mean, we've already made the case pretty strongly about why you would want to log all of these assets. Um, and we'll probably continue to make that case throughout the throughout the podcast. But what's the benefit? What's the the, the benefit for um, tracking the relationship between different assets? Where does that provide an advantage? Um Knowing the relationships helps you when you come to things like doing regular reviews of these assets, because you, what you yeah. don't want to do is make a, a silly decision about 
an individual asset, not realizing that the, if you make this decision, it has implications for these assets over here and here. Sure, sure. One critical relationship that needs to be managed, though, is the relationship between your agreements. So if, yeah. you, if, you, uh, if you have a system that has an agreements module, you're now logging all of the agreements you have, the NDAs, collaboration agreements, supplier agreements, and the assets that are uh, being shared or being licensed or being bought in or whatever as a result of that agreement with this other company. So you have an agreement here, which is an NDA, but you say, but why did you sign the NDA? You must, yeah. the, you, you must what, have shared. What have you given them? Yeah. <laughs> what, yes, you've got the agreement with Acme Inc., but what confidential information or trade secrets did you entrust to them in the days or weeks after or the reverse? What trade secrets did they entrust to you? Because if they, if you didn't give any, if you didn't share any confidential information or trade secrets with them, and they didn't share any confidential trade secrets with you, why yeah, do you have that. the NDA? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So what you want to do is see that I want to know ah, this there's an NDA here with Acme Inc., but there's a trade secret over here that we shared with them in 13th of November as a result of signing this NDA. So I want to see that there's a link between the two. Yeah. So then, therefore, if the NDA expires, I now know ah, ah red flag. I have an agreement ensuring confidentiality with this trade secret. The NDA is about to expire. It now puts my trade secret at risk. Yeah. So what's the situation with the NDA when it expires or an agreement when it expires? So there are, you definitely want to manage the relationship because like I said, in most cases, these assets are not islands disconnected from the rest of the portfolio. Yeah. Um, and there can be there can be various reasons why there's a relationship. It could, like I said, between a relationship between a particular asset and agreement. Uh, this a number of assets all work together to protect a product or a service. Um, there's a link, or or some assets could transition. So, for example, you might have an asset today that's a trade secret, but then you decide to revert to a patent. So this trade secret is nice to see that. that see that transition to that, say, ah, yeah. last year it was this, this year it's this. Yeah. Um, and of course, after the patent um, it expires, it's now published material, so it becomes a publication. So yeah. um, being able to track that um, that link over time is 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 most important. Yeah, and I think the NDA one in particular is a really great example because I talk quite a lot about the need proactively to manage NDAs because these things are sort of like floating around. They get signed. Oh, they're like they, confetti. Yeah, <laughs> they're like then, confetti. And nothing happens. And then there's, there's a time when they're no longer needed. And whether that's because you've entered into a full agreement or whether it's because the collaboration actually was a bit of a false start, didn't go anywhere. But the point is, you've still got this agreement and there's yep. still this thing here and managing these things, closing them off when they need to be closed off and making sure that you understand what you've sent and what you've received so that you can then if you do close this thing off, you know what you've got to give back, potentially, yeah. uh, and you know what you want the other party to give back or destroy, which is common uh, yeah. in terms of the terms in there. Yeah, uh, great. Um, now, I know we've sort of touched a bit on some of the benefits of having the register, uh, one being that it brings this incredibly broad topic into a manageable form, something that once you've got these things logged and documented, then leadership can do something with them you can't do anything with it when you don't know what it is yep. another is that it helps you manage and maintain these things um, over time and we've touched a bit on on that as well but because this podcast is about sort of tech businesses looking for investment and looking for exit have you got any um i mean again you've touched on this a little bit uh, as well but is there any more you've got to say around the usefulness of these things in a due diligence process yep. well um Back to agreements. Uh, when I said about using the 
whatever agreements module is in your register to track your agreements. Yeah. I don't just mean the obvious agreements like mm. NDAs and collaboration agreements. I also mean agreements, the non-obvious ones. For example, things like open source licenses, because yeah. you may have software in your company and of course software permeates the globe these days. So the likelihood that you're having some software in your business is quite high. And if there is software, the likelihood that there's open source in there is also quite high these days. Yeah. And we, I'm aware of a number of due diligence exercises where the, the third party or their advisor, or whatever, has looked into a company, discovered that there's open source permeating this target company. And the target company doesn't even realize that they've got open source licenses. Yeah. yeah. So um, it can help tremendously with due diligence because it forces you to get ready. And like I said, in terms of, War stories, I'm aware of a number of due diligence exercises which have run to difficulty because they weren't managing their agreement. They taught, they yeah. said they were managing their agreements, but it wasn't a complete set. They were missing out the non-obvious agreements. So by non-obvious, yeah. I mean agreements that you actually haven't signed. You've taken them into use by the very fact of your behavior or your activities. So yeah. you know, when you when you when you when you take an open source piece of code into use, the license comes with you. Yeah. You can't then turn around and say, oh, I don't, that open source license <laughs> isn't relevant. No, no, the, the software is in your company yeah. and so forth. So, um, um, yeah, I think that um, clearly having a good, uh, a good register, fit for purpose register, good uh, tracking of your assets and good metadata about your assets puts you in a very strong position yeah. for due diligence. One, one other reason I'd bring up for it is that if you look at due diligence in general, and I, I don't mean to be say everyone's in the same boat, but a lot, lot of are, unfortunately. So when a due diligence exercise is taking place, there's tremendous pressure um, on all the parties involved. They're usually quite time critical as well. And unfortunately, the IP part of it is often tagged on at the end. So yeah. there's a tremendous rush to get the IP things checked. And some treat it just as a checklist. I say, oh, yeah, have you got that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They tick through it. Oh, yeah, don't worry about that. Yeah. Whereas what you need to do is, what we need to see happening is the IP part of the due diligence starting earlier and more time and attention being given to it because in many cases, particularly innovative and creative companies, that's the juicy part. That's yeah, the essence of what absolutely. the company is about. And of course, if you have good data and it's been regularly maintained and so it puts you in a strong position when you're then under trying to get the due diligence done in a timely fashion because you're not having to start off from a blank sheet of paper. You're starting yeah. off with good set of data. Absolutely. I think and there's two, when, two things I'd say about about that is one and we've spoken about this before donald that actually a good intangible asset register can identify risks simply by the process of sort of putting the data in there you can realize risks that you didn't know were there which are almost sort of like it's almost like starting to do due diligence oh, yes. on yourself oh, yes. you know oh, yeah we've we've seen that <laughs> we've we've definitely seen that um one one of the modules in our system <laughs> Well, we got two modules in our system um, that, that are linked. So there's a trade secret module and a know-how module. Now, yeah. the know-how module is for undocumented trade secret. Uh, so the trade secret is for documented. But we've been yeah. amazed at how many companies will start saying to us as we're helping them sort of or educating them or holding their hand through the process. They'll say, oh, yeah, we have this trade secret, this trade secret, and this trade secret. And we say, okay, fine. So you've logged it. Can you just do a sanity check? Go and check the status of the actual documentation. Yeah. And then they'll come back and say, well, it's actually in Joe's head. So, so that means it's not it's documented not trade secret. So, so if Joe tomorrow morning gets run over by a bus, God forbid, or leaves yeah. the company and joins the competitor, you've lost it. Yeah. So yeah, you're absolutely right. By by forcing yourself to actually go through the sectors of saying, well, actually, do we know what assets we have? Can we enter the data? What is the data? Yeah. And then sanity check, is it correct? Yeah. Um, 
Even things like agreements, we've had companies say, oh, yeah, we've got this NDA, and they've gone and looked through it, and they said, well, actually, it expired last year. Yeah. Nobody noticed. Yeah. Uh, um, you think, well, actually, tis, that means you don't have an NDA. You have an old NDA that's yeah. no longer relevant. It's no you longer want in to, force. Whatever. Yeah. So, yeah, or, um, I mean, we're talking to a company at the moment that has a number of patents, and um, one of the things this brought up for them is that they're having a rethink about their whole foreign filing strategy. They're thinking, you know, we've, we've got these in some exotic parts of the world, we're under cost pressure. Do we do we maintain these? So absolutely, having data in front of you allows you to really. It's like looking in the mirror. You know, yeah, do I look absolutely. good today? Is my is my yeah. hair combed and so forth? Do I have food on my face? <laughs> well, you look in the mirror and it tells you. You say, well, actually, no, I, I don't have my hair combed, or I, I do have cheese on my face from a sandwich earlier, whatever. So it it puts a mirror in front of you, yeah, and it's absolutely. then it's then harder to hide. It's harder to say, ah, don't worry about it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. And you, and as I say, I think you're almost sort of starting the due diligence process early because you're being alerted to these things, right? Absolutely. Um, absolutely. And it's it's got to make it easier as well. As you said, sometimes the IP part of this process can be rushed, can be sort of done at the end. And if you've got all the data to hand and there's fewer surprises because you've kind of been through the process of logging it, so you've looked in the mirror you've wiped all the cheese off your face to continue yeah. your analogy um and you sort of you're in a position to be able to just give this data freely easily in a in a format that's easy to consume then it's got to be a nicer process for you at the end yeah. of the day yeah no it's not an easy process though i mean no. companies need to understand that um if you're starting off from day zero where you have no data gathered there is some work to go and crawl through the organization and identify all these intangible assets. Yeah. Um, particularly the unregistered ones. The at least with the patents and trademarks, there'll be records kept by the government yeah. or by your external firm or whatever. So you need to understand that there's an initial hurdle to populate your register. Mm. And the pace at which you get through that hurdle will depend on how much management support there is, what resources, either internal or in many cases can you get external help to populate it. So there is an initial hurdle. Mm. Um but yeah. once you've got over that hurdle, then it's more you're more in maintenance mode, and perhaps you know at a pace that's relevant for that business, maybe once a month or once a quarter or a half a year, or whatever. You didn't do an exercise to sanity check: has anything changed? Does anything need to be updated? But you know, it's not like a light switch where you suddenly go, ah, I've, I've got the register license, I bought the software, click a switch, it's populated. No, there is some work to be done, um, and and like we talked at the very beginning, the the breadth of different. In, uh, issues or uh, uh, items that qualify as intangibles is quite broad these days. So, you know, to go through and say, okay, I'm going to get my head around all my agreements. I'm going to get a head around all my copyrighted material, my my domain names, my social media handles, my trade secrets, my employee know-how. It does take time, yeah. but you don't want to be starting it in the middle of an M&A exercise. No, absolutely not. No, you definitely don't. And we've segued quite nicely into the next topic that I wanted to talk about, which is how, how to, so if if I'm a you know an SME tech SME and I'm listening to you talk about this and I think to myself okay yeah this sounds like something we really need to get get a handle on where's the place to start and, and if it is that sort of you know harvesting exercise getting everything uh, together I mean that's probably a, a separate podcast all in, in itself but yeah well what's I think the way it, to go um, I, I definitely would have agreements near the beginning rather than the end of the exercise because mm. the agreements that you've signed are in many ways the foundations of your company. And mm. you need to make sure that they are in, in proper ship shape condition. Yeah, I say this all the so, time. 
Um, so I would I would be putting the agreements high up on the agenda. Get your agreements sorted. Yeah. Um, if you're a any way um, software or this any touch of software, make sure it expands to the non-obvious agreements. So your open source licenses, Creative yeah. Commons license, stuff that you may not even think about as being an agreement in your in your register. But get your agreements. Everything from your employee agreements, your subcontractor agreements, your agreements upstream and downstream. You know, get those sorted. When you say and, get them sorted. Donald, I mean, we can get them in the register yeah. and there'll be some, uh, you know, there'll be some fields in that register yep. some, so that, that, that you'll be prompted to put some information in. But there's some additional work there as well, right, to understanding whether or not they're fit for purpose. Oh, yes. You then got to look at, from an IP hat, you're going to look at the IP provisions. Yeah. What what have you committed to from an IP yes. perspective <laughs> with these agreements? What have you agreed to do? Yeah. And in particular then, which leads on nicely then, what IP assets have gone out the door or come in the door as a result of these agreements. Okay. Now, depending on the nature of your business, I would then suggest that the next thing will be probably your know-how and your trade secret. Mm. Uh, the reason I picked those next is because if you're anyway an innovative and creative company, that stuff is permeating your company. Yeah. It's just, it's just you haven't been logging it. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So um, I would do an exercise to try to identify your trade secrets and your know-how. And it does. Uh, uh, the, like I said, the, the the simple definition I use is the the know how is the trade secrets that you haven't yet haven't documented. They only exist in the employees' heads because yeah. some of that may need to be captured. You may need to do an exercise to say, actually, we do need to document it into mm -hmm. a, an SOP or a process description or whatever. Yeah. If you're um, a certain type of tech company, I would then be it's the inventive ideas and the patents that would fall yeah. next. Yeah. If you're more on the sort of fast-moving consumer goods and more brand, then it'll be the trademarks. Trademark. Um, so the trademarks will become critical. Uh, it, 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 the, the importance of that will vary a little bit depending on the type of company you are. If you're a consumer-facing, um, but then don't forget the online world. So then the domain names, the social media yeah. handles. I mean, um, well, we have one of our clients uh, who know him quite well, um, and um, one of his big issues, issues is just managing the social media handles because they have a management team that seem to delight in talking about their company on Facebook and Twitter, and yeah. he's saying, I need to know who's managing these because sometimes I'm deeply concerned about some of the stuff that's going out there. Yeah. Are we divulging our trade secrets? Yeah. And, and I'm trying to, he's trying to educate management to say, there's a link between our trade secrets and our Twitter account, because if you publish this stuff, it's gone. So he's wanting to know, okay, who's responsible for our Twitter account? What type of information? Why are we using a Twitter account? What's the purpose? Who approves the material? Yada, yada, yada. Um, and they have, they have Twitter and Facebook and, and LinkedIn and so forth. And um, he's now, kind of keep track and make sure that everyone in the company understands that Joe is responsible for our Twitter. It's for this purpose. LinkedIn is used for recruiting, yada, yeah. yada, yada, whatever. So um, the online world can also become important. And there is the domain names, uh, the social media handles, um, and again, logging them, tracking them, understanding what who's using them, what do we have, um, et cetera, et cetera. So, and of course, that's one of the real dangers. I mean, if you don't know what your trade secrets are, then you don't know. You don't know. Yeah. <laughs> It's, it's very hard to keep, you know. And um, but I would yeah. say I would say that order. I would say agreements, yeah, know-how and trade secrets, leading on to inventive ideas and patents, the trademark stuff. Um, but of course, then you, you you have other forms of IP that you know it could be that geographical indications are important to you yeah. because it made your business. It could be grants or licenses. You know, the most important thing could be to you might be your CE mark or something like that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's also an intangible asset. Um, and what about things like um, uh, contracts, sales contracts and things like that? And what about also for lots of businesses that I work with, 
documenting software um as well is that are these things oh yes oh yes, oh yes. i yeah. mean when i say agreements i mean i mean contracts as well so sorry i should have okay agreements and contracts but then in software um so if, if it's a software business you, you say well you know what's your trade secret is your source code trade secrets yeah um are you are you publishing this thing it's copyright um um it could be the open source licenses it could be the proprietary licenses so if you have software straight away you know you've got agreements but obvious and non-obvious you definitely know you've got copyright Mm-hmm. Uh, you definitely have trade secrets. More than likely, you have trade secrets. Um, you uh, may have know-how in the heads of your software engineers that they haven't documented. That they may know yeah. how to configure it or set it up or whatever. Uh, you may have data related to your software. So then the question is, if it's raw data or process data, how are you going to treat that? Is it going to be published? Are you going to make it available under Creative Commons license? Are you going to treat it as a trade secret? Oh, yeah. So software, I know some software people think they're immune to IP, and IP is for everybody else except this industry. Yeah. Um, uh, software companies are... IP intensive. Yes. Absolutely intensive. And Agreed. of course, you can still have patents. It, yeah. it might be a little bit more challenging, but you can have uh, patents, not just your own patents, but you may have patents to worry about belonging to others. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, a software is not an IP free zone. Absolutely not. It's definitely uh, not. It's something I, I say all of the time. I do think it's a sector that's been slightly let down by the IP sector in that it tends to bounce off it. You know, because patents can sometimes be a challenge. And that's, I mean, whilst this is one of the things that we're probably trying to fight every day, you and I, Donald, the idea that patents equals IP is is sort of fixed in the heads of quite yep. a few people, yep. especially yep. In, in technology sectors. Yep. And so when software businesses can't get patents, they think, well, that's the end of that. Then let's just carry on and do our, do our business. But you're right. There's loads more that they could be doing. No, I mean, patents are important, but they're not the, the be all and end all. And it, it will vary by industry sector. But uh, yes, um, um, software guys as well have to think about um, the intangible assets that they have. So, yeah. Great. Well, I think we've got to be conscious of time. I'm sure that we could sort of carry on talking about this for, for a lot longer, you and I. We're not we're not usually brief when we have these conversations, <laughs> are we? Still? But, no, uh, no. <laughs> Thanks very much for your time and for uh, joining us. Um, just so that people can know, where where can people find you and find your business um, online if they wanted to come and seek you out? Well, first of all, obviously, they can go directly to you since we know each other quite well and, and come mm-hmm. by you. Um, yeah. The company is Chart Innovation Services, so we have a, a website. Um, I'm active on LinkedIn, yeah. so probably the most common way that people approach me is through LinkedIn. We've even got a, a corporate YouTube channel at the moment, um, just recently set up. So um, I think, yeah, through LinkedIn is probably the best way to reach out to me, Don O'Connell at Short Innovation Services, and happy to answer anything. And if anyone wants to see the asset register we've built, happy to demo it. And um, Stephen as well can, knows it quite well. So I think talk to you as well if they if they're interested in it. And I suppose one thing message for the smaller companies is that you may not have an in-house IP manager, so you may need to think yeah. about going externally to get someone to hold your hand. And I, I know, Stephen, your, your firm does a lot of that work of yeah. being a virtual IP manager for innovative and creative companies where they may be at a point where they, they yet haven't decided to have an internal resource, but they still require relies that IP needs management. So, Yeah, there's definitely lots of things that we've spoken about today that you people are going to need some support on that's that's definitely true because it's a complex area there's nothing we can do about that whilst i think both of us would like it to be simpler um yeah. no, it, it, unfortunately, it, it is it is complex unfortunately the the, yeah. the, the breton of the different forms of ip the different ip models it, it is a it's a complex world 
Okay, well, uh, thanks for listening to Where's the Exit? Um, my name is Stephen Blake, and I hope you tune in next time. Thank you very much. Thank you.